In today's podcast, we'll be talking about education, education specifically around blood management and transfusion. Transfusion risks and the principles and benefits of patient blood management, PBM, are well documented in the literature. One of the challenges is to ensure that all the multidisciplinary team members working in these clinical areas are aware of the risks, benefits and principles and undertake their practice accordingly. Education is one of the many activities that a transfusion practitioner may undertake as part of their role. If you are not sure what a transfusion practitioners are, you may want to go back and listen to our first podcast about what is a transfusion practitioner. We are very fortunate to be able to bring you this podcast thanks to the support from the International Society of Blood Transfusion, known as ISBT. ISBT is a global community of professionals sharing knowledge to enhance transfusion practice and their blood management. The society does this by providing opportunities for advancing knowledge and education and by advocacy for the welfare of blood donors and patients. ISBT has many working groups that focus on specific topics or areas of practice. And one of these is the Transfusion Practitioners subgroup. So now we're going to meet our guests for today. Each one of them will give you a little introduction. We'll start with you, Rachel. Hi, thanks, Louise. Uh, my name is Rachel Moss. I am a Transfusion Practitioner at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children. That's in London in the United Kingdom. And I've been a transfusion practitioner. This in 2023 is my 20th year. So uh, we're having a bit of an anniversary. Thanks, Rachel. Over to you, Lindley. Oh, hi everyone. I'm Lindley Bilby and I manage the Blood Matters Program, which is a quality improvement program that's run out of Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. So part of the role that my team do is provide lots of education. So it is certainly one of the activities that um, is very much part of a transfusion practitioner role. Looking forward to being able to share that today. And last but not least, Jana. Hi, I'm Jana. I'm a transfusion practitioner in the University Hospital of Brussels in Belgium since 2013. So I have also almost you know uh, anniversary but uh, only for 14 years <laughs> so hopefully more years will follow and then i'm also a project coordinator for the belgian health authorities where um, with our group we try to support the belgian hospitals with transfusion and pbn implementation okay so we'll start with the first question rachel can you tell the listeners why education is important Yes, Louise, we can. And as you mentioned in your introduction, transfusion carries risks. Uh, we know that. And to reduce those risks, it's vital that everyone who participates in the transfusion process, or you might call it the transfusion chain, so we're talking here from vein to vein, so from the donor to the recipient, receives appropriate transfusion education. Now, many countries have policies, guidelines, standards that mandate or recommend education and the training to be completed for all the clinical, technical uh, support staff involved in transfusion activities. So education covers all aspects of transfusion practice. And it's not just restricted to the administration of blood, which is kind of what people think, but it actually covers the whole patient blood management remit, such as managing patients with bleeding, uh, iron deficiency or iron deficiency anemia. And the purpose of the education isn't just to emphasize safe transfusion, but to stress the importance of making sure that when the decision to transfuse is made, it includes all the things like the uh, patient's clinical needs, the 
considering alternative therapies, treatments. So we want people to really understand the whole process. Now we did a survey in 2019 and we reported this in Vox Sanguinis. It's the 2020 under Amand Desi et al. I'm not going to read out the whole reference. And we looked at the countries that had the TP role. And those that did, education was one of the most reported activities in that role. So it went between 55% and 98%. So we know that transfusion practitioners are a huge part of the education process. It's very fundamental in planning, implementing, um, evaluating the transfusion education. And we also know that there are so many ways to deliver this um, for all the different healthcare professionals involved. Thanks, Rachel. Lily, what topics could be covered by the transfusion practitioner in their education? Well, thanks, Louise. The, the topics could cover anything from the donor process right through to administration and even the post-transfusion care. We call this vein to vein, as Rachel has mentioned earlier. And so this is from the donor right through to the patient. As Rachel stated, education covers the appropriateness of transfusion and the transfusion process. So some of the examples could include obtaining informed consent and communication, uh, communicating with patients and carers. It could be how to safely collect a pre-transfusion sample, um, information about the blood components and their products and when they should be used, about how to store them and what the cold chain concepts are. It could be about the requirements um, for transporting blood from the blood bank to the patient location, and one very important part is about what other fluids are compatible with the blood and blood products. How do you perform your pre-transfusion checks? What infusion rates and what times um, should blood be given over? How do you monitor the patient? Um, how to recognise and manage any transfusion reactions that might occur? And the importance of actually reporting these. For those who'd like more information about this, if you could wanted to listen to our previous podcast, podcast number four, it talks about adverse transfusion events and um, hemovigilance, so you could get some insight there. Other topics that are covered by the transfusion practitioner in their education around uh, could cover transfusion governance. So this is really updating staff about policy and procedural changes and letting them know when guidelines or standards have changed so that they can change their practice accordingly. Now, patient blood management is a big area where people, transfusion practitioners provide education. And there are so many different topics under this area, such as detecting anemia, treating iron deficiency, um, preventing iatrogenic anemia. And these topics are going to be covered in our upcoming series of podcasts, so stay tuned. Patients uh, who refuse blood and components and products, um, we need to know how to manage this and what to do. Um, another area is about teaching people what to do in a massive transfusion or a critical bleeding situation. Some of the other areas could be about how the fractionated blood products are manufactured and what's the importance of administering those, how to administer them safely. We could provide clinical audit results, look at um, providing information about reducing waste. And there's still many more after all of that. So there's lots of, lots and lots and lots of areas that we can cover. Thanks, Lindley. That's a really broad range of topics. Jana, can you tell us how you determine what education is required? 
Yes, good question. In fact, it depends on a number of factors, such as the needs of the organization. Also, the transfusion committee might have made an education plan that should be followed. It also depends on the expertise of the transfusion practitioner. We will chat about this a bit later on. Uh, it could be in response to guideline changes and policy updates. It might be in response to a transfusion incident or results from audit findings. And some countries may have a mandate or standards that require education. Rachel, what are some of the different methods that TPs use to deliver education? So there are so many different ways to deliver education and anybody who's ever worked in a setting where they are teaching and training staff on whatever topic, um, there's lots of different things to do. And some countries have national programs, uh, some may be mandatory, some have local settings. So there's lots of different ways that they do it. But the actual delivery. Um, do you know what? COVID. Actually, COVID has helped us immensely because it means that we can do far more online we're doing zoom teams i'm sure other platforms are available and that can be done nationally locally regionally and within that we can do webinars we can do team meetings uh, we can do quizzes uh, all sorts of different ways now that we meet through technology that i don't think we did to the same extent before covid the face-to-face -face session the first one i ever learned and that goes on and it's a, a good way um, it's not always the best way. We like a blended approach, but you've got lectures, study days, um, in-service sessions. It could just be a quick situational learning opportunity. You pop up there, you've got some nurses or some doctors, and you can use that as an opportunity to teach or even at a bedside working with a more junior member of staff. Case studies are a great way to learn, and there's always transfusion case studies. And some of the hemovigilance schemes will have ones that you can use to learn from. Um, and then written and printed information. So whether that's a learning package, whether that's a newsletter, posters around the ward or in the clinical area or tea rooms. And last but not least, there's all this um, simulation and um, audiovisual stuff. So we can really drill down on some of the scenarios that might come up. So whether that's a hemorrhage or whether that's a transfusion reaction, but do it in a setting where we're learning and feeding back. And that can be done not just in a clinical setting, but in a laboratory setting as well. So all these different tools are available to us to look at and, and to deliver the information we want to get across. So there are many different modalities to deliver education, depending on the purpose in the audience. Jana, which group of healthcare professionals would the TPs typically educate? Uh, again, this is varied and uh, it may include uh, porters, all levels of nursing, from student nurses to qualified nurses, also midwives, nurse practitioners, advanced level nurses, and also medical staff, from interns to senior specialists from different clinical specialties. Uh, Transfusion practitioners may also be involved in the education of laboratory staff, perfusionists, um, anesthesia assistants, and sometimes to executives. So uh, Rachel told about different methods of education. It's important to adjust your methods of education to your target audience. 
And as a TP, um, we can also play an important role in education um, uh, conferences nationally or internationally. So if the opportunity is presented, uh, we should take advantage of that to spread the word. You certainly should. Lindley, do all TPs have the same responsibilities for education? No, Louise, they don't. I guess this depends on where the transfusion practitioner works and their level of experience. So as you can imagine, with experience comes greater responsibilities. So on the ISBT transfusion practitioner webpage, there are tools and uh, there is a tools and resources section, and you can find in here a template for developing transfusion practitioner job descriptions. And this does include the areas of education. So if you're a starting or a novice transfusion practitioner, you might um, act as a transfusion practice or PBM resource. Once you've developed some of those skills yourself, you might develop a program of educational activities in conjunction with your transfusion committee. And you'll likely participate in assessment and development and evaluation of the, exam of the educational materials that you provide. Um, as you get more experience, you would deliver more customised and corrective training um, to staff that might have been, say, implicated in a, a critical incidence or a clinical incident situation or a near miss. You will probably manage more interventions related to transfusion practice um, and look at them in a different way to what you would as, as a more novice transfusion practitioner. And when you become a more senior practitioner, you probably have more responsibilities about development and delivery. You might be also involved in some broader um, education processes, and you would probably be liaising with the relevant clinical departments, heads and um, managers, et cetera, in relationship to that. But it does depend on each organisation and the structure. But often as you start out, you'll need support um, from your clinical leads in those sort of areas. But it's, um, it is certainly something that as you develop your experience, you do more. That is certainly what I found in my experience leading up to today. Rachel, could you tell us if TPs are involved in the development of educational materials to facilitate transfusion related learning? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some TPs do that at a local level and some do that at a, at a national level. And we are involved in developing tools to help learning. So we really focus on what works. We're a very collegiate group. We're very open to sharing. Uh, we have a term in English which is called let's not reinvent the wheel, which means let's not do the same thing again and again and again if somebody else has done it. So we like to share and whether that's within your own region or even going to Australia and some of the great resources that you guys have got that we have taken in the UK. So we also understand that they need to be customized. So you take them and then you look at what your needs are of your organization or your area or the group that you're teaching. And then we can acknowledge one another's hard work, but adapt them slightly to as we need them. And if you see something that you think works in your organization, always ask the person who wrote it if they can share it, because I can guarantee they'll be delighted to share things with you. Earlier on, Lily mentioned that there were many areas under the term patient blood management. Jana, do all transfusion practitioners provide education about patient blood management? And if so, can you expand a little more on that? 
Uh, again, there is variation between hospitals and countries. Uh, some hospitals have dedicated roles, such as a patient blood management coordinator, and education is a part uh, of their role. And in other hospitals, the TP will provide education about PBM. Uh, patient blood management consists of a wide range of strategies to improve patient outcomes by managing and preserving a patient's own blood. The implementation of PBM can be challenging and it's often implemented using a multidisciplinary working group who will determine strategies and priorities. So education can include um, the PBM concept and the beneficial effects of PBM on patient safety and outcome. Uh, but it can also be about strategies such as single unit transfusion, um, prevention of iatrogenic anemia, uh, preoperative pre anemia and iron status assessment, and also a very important one, the use of antifibrinolytics to reduce perioperative blood loss. Uh, later this year, we will be sharing several podcasts specifically about PBM. So be sure to check them out as they will include more detail along with strategies and examples. Thanks, Jana. That leads nicely into our last question for today. Rachel, perhaps you could take this one. Where would the listeners find resources or learn more? Ah, ISBT webpages. That's the place to go. If you look at the Transfusion Practitioner Tools page, the sections on there about educational resources, a TP toolkit that will link you into the many different educational resources for different levels. And we find something useful, we try and get it up there so that uh, ISBT members can access it. To find the Transfusion Practitioner page on the ISBT website, we invite all our listeners to go to the Select Working Groups on the Clinical Transfusion Working Party page. On the TP page, you can link through to the tools and you'll find links to haemovigilance resources. Uh, there's also a link to an article in Transfusion today. And if listeners have any further questions, just get in touch with us through the ISBT office. Thank you all for sharing your time and experiences with us. We have learned that education is fundamental to ensure that staff working in the area of blood management patient blood management and transfusion have the knowledge and understanding to provide high quality, effective and safe patient care. The role of a transfusion practitioner is very important. And as we have heard today, it is an ongoing process requiring regular updates and reinforcement to keep pace with changes, to reduce errors and risk and improve patient outcomes. As always, Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us today. If you have any feedback or questions, you can get in touch with us by visiting the ISBT website and checking out the Clinical Transfusion Working Party, where you'll find more details about the Transfusion Practitioner subgroup. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode, where we will provide an overview of patient blood management and the role of the TP.